0: On August 17th, 1966, Paulo Cordero Azevedo dos Santos went bird hunting on Morro do Vintem, a hill that overlooked the Santa Rosa neighborhood of Niteroy in Rio de Janeiro. Instead of birds, he stumbled upon a horrifying scene two lifeless bodies partially covered in vegetation he rushed to report his disturbing discovery to local radio patrol officer Antonio Guerra. But his story was dismissed as a prank. The following day, 18-year-old Georgie De Costa Alves and his friends went searching for Alves' lost kite and were hit with a putrid odor that led them to the same bodies. Alves immediately reported the discovery to the Nitroi police station. The investigation was postponed until the next day due to the challenging access conditions caused by heavy rain. It took the small team of police officers, firefighters, and journalists approximately two hours to reach the crime scene. When they arrived, they were met with the overpowering smell of decomposing bodies and decaying vegetation. The stench was so intense that an excessive amount of formaldehyde had to be used on the bodies, One of the investigators recounted years later that the crime scene had an eerie, ritualistic atmosphere, with no indications of struggle or physical trauma. The victims appeared to be sleeping. The bodies of Miguel Jose Viana, 34, and Manuel Parada de Cruz, 32, both electronics technicians, were found lying side by side on a bed of palm leaves. They wore identical raincoats over their formal suits and homemade mascaras de chumbo, or lead masks, that resembled the sunglasses worn by Doc Brown in Back to the Future 2. Surprisingly, the bodies were untouched by scavengers, despite being left exposed. The victims' watches were removed from their wrists and placed in their pockets and an almost empty pack of Continental cigarettes was found with the Cruz. It appeared that they intended to make a short journey, as there was no extra pack of cigarettes. Nearby, investigators discovered an empty water bottle, a laminated paper cup, and a paper package containing two damp towels. Additionally, a handkerchief with the initials AMS was found, but none of the victim's relatives recognized those initials. Other items found included a bag of concrete mix, a notebook containing symbols, reference codes for vacuum tubes, and basic equations such as Ohm's Law. A cryptic note containing vague instructions was also discovered. 1630, be it the determined place. 1830, ingest capsules after the effect. Protect metals, wait for mass signal. While the handwriting on the notebook belongs to Viana, the vocabulary used was more characteristic of a medical professional. In Brazil, individuals with a lower education level, such as the victims, would typically use the term engolir, to swallow, instead of ingerir to ingest. To add to the mystery, there were multiple reports from witnesses claiming to have seen a UFO in the area A few days prior to the estimated time of the victim's deaths. Join us as we discuss the bizarre details of the lead mask's case, including a sneaky dog, criminals with lame nicknames, extraterrestrial revenge, and a man called Pizza. Stay, a to, stay. to this day, there is very limited information about the two men. However, we know they were longtime friends who lived in close proximity to each other. They owned a minuscule workshop that specialized in the repair of electronic equipment, such as radios and televisions. They were both married men, and resided in the municipality of Campos Coytacases, located in Rio de Janeiro. On the night of August 16, 1966, De Cruz informed his wife, Nelly, that he and Viana were planning to travel to Sao Paulo to purchase a used car and electronic components for their workshop. Nelly helped him wrap a sum of 2,300,000 cruceros, which amounted to approximately two hundred dollars USD in today's money, and put it in a briefcase. The next morning Da Cruz packed two towels, and along with Viana and their assistant Elcio Gomez, whom we will discuss later, went to the bus station. While Elcio stayed behind, Da Cruz and Viana boarded the nine AM bus to Nitro instead of Sao Paulo, as they had informed their families. Viana and de Cruz arrived in Niteroi at 2 p.m. amid pouring rain. While passing Fluscop, an electronic shop they often visited to buy components, their friend and the owner, Hernani Filho, invited them for lunch, which they declined, citing that they were in a hurry. After purchasing matching rubber coats from a store named Casa Brasilia, they went to a bar and bought a bottle of water, keeping the receipt for a possible refund. The bartender remembered the two men, appeared nervous, and kept checking their watches. Raulino D'Amatos, a civilian guard, reported seeing the victims leaving a jeep with two others at the bottom of the hill around 4.30 p.m. The two men climbed the hill and were never seen alive again. During the crime scene inspection, Several details caught the investigators' attention. Firstly, they noticed that the palm leaves on which the men were found lying seemed to have been cut, yet they found no knife nearby. Furthermore, they found $68 on Viana while De Cruz only had $2, suggesting that the rest of the money might have been taken or stolen. The corpses had a pinkish color and showed possible small burns which were not uncommon for people in the same line of work as the victims. However, the stage of decomposition was so advanced that such findings were deemed insignificant. The investigation would have proceeded as usual, but on August 21st, a detective named Ilton Magales was murdered, causing pressure on the Institute of Medicine and Law, IML, in Niteroi to speed up the examination of the detective's body, which resulted in Viana and De Cruz being sidelined. The autopsy will not be issued for another two months. What follows is possibly the biggest comedy of errors in the annals of forensic pathology. Maneka, an autopsy assistant, informed Chief Idovam Ferreira, who was leading the investigation, that toxological tests on the victim's viscera could not be performed due to the advanced stage of their decomposition. However, it was later discovered that the refrigerator was not functioning properly, resulting in the rapid decay of the victim's viscera. Adding to this bizarre turn of events was the fact that someone had neglected to close the refrigerator door, allowing a dog to enter and feed on the innards, As per the autopsy report, there was no evidence of violence, poisoning, radioactivity, or any known cause of cardiac failure that contributed to the deaths of the two men. The coroner, Astor de Melo, also determined that the men had passed away sometime between Tuesday the 16th and Saturday the 20th. Notably, the original examiner, Sebastio Falace, refused to sign the autopsy report, resulting in his name being struck out in the records and replaced with that of Walmart Gianni, who was deceased at the time. Unhappy with the official cause of death, Colonel Eduardo de Santofeo, who was in charge of the security of the state of Rio, organized a review meeting with police delegate Jose Venacio Betancourt and an electronics technician the following day. He also contacted Toledo Pizza, the director of the Coroner's Institute and undeniably the possessor of the greatest name of all time, to conduct a second autopsy. During his examination, the pathologist, Dr. Alberto Fada, extracted and analyzed the organs and searched for any potential injection sites on the bodies. Unfortunately, the second autopsy did not reveal any new information or findings. Subsequently, it was discovered that the remains of the two men's partially consumed and decomposed viscera had been disposed of in the trash, eliminating any possibility of an additional investigation. One possible motive that was explored was robbery. As we pointed out earlier, a significant amount of money seemed to have gone missing between the time the two men left Campos and when their bodies were discovered. Another theory was that of espionage, given the strategic location of Moro Vintem, which provided a sweeping view of the area and would have been an ideal spot for the installation of a transmitter, something the victims specialized in. However, the absence of violence made this theory seem unlikely, Authorities also investigated the possibility that the two men were involved in a smuggling operation, as foreign electronic equipment was extremely difficult to obtain in Brasilia due to currency regulations at the time. There was speculation that Viana and De Cruz were involved in the illegal sale of radioactive material and were murdered by disgruntled buyers. Electronics technicians who were brought in suggested the possibility that the two men may have been killed by lightning, given the heavy rainfall in the night in question. They pointed out that being in a high location and wearing a lead mask could increase the likelihood of being struck by a natural electrical discharge. Investigators also looked into the possibility that the whole thing was a gay suicide pact, as the location was known to be a mating place for gay men in the area. However there was no evidence to suggest that the victims were in a romantic relationship. Newspapers sensationalized the theory that the men were killed while conducting some kind of electronic experiment gone wrong. It should be noted that while electronics repair shops played a significant role in the local economy, accounting for 10% of total revenue, most technicians at the time, lacked the proper training and knowledge to perform repairs effectively. As a result, trial and error became the norm rather than following a standard repair process. It's not unreasonable to entertain the possibility that the two victims may not have been little baby testless, as they are often portrayed. With that in mind, the theory that they died in an experiment gone wrong is really not that far-fetched. Ultimately, the investigation reached a dead end and took an unexpected turn. This is what you've been waiting for, folks. We're going balls deep into UFO territory. Gracinda Barbosa Coutinho de Souza, a woman from high society, witnessed an unusual flying object over the Moro do Vintem on the evening of August 17th. While driving with her three children... She spotted an oval-shaped object with a band of fire encircling its edges. The object was emitting rays in all directions. She stepped out of her car and watched it rise and fall vertically, giving off a blue light for several minutes. She returned home, told her husband, a member of the Rio Stock Exchange, who drove back to the site but didn't see anything. A few days after news of the discovery of the two bodies had spread, her husband took measures to prevent her from learning about the incident and contacted the police. According to the newspapers, D'Souza had revealed certain details during her interview with the authorities that were not included in the report. These additional details were kept confidential by order of the chief of police. The report that a person as prominent as De Souza had witnessed a UFO led other witnesses to come forward to confirm the sighting to the police. All the witnesses verified that the incident occurred around the same time as the deaths of Viana and the Cruz. They also admitted that they had not reported their sightings earlier for fear of the ridicule attached to flying saucers. Following these reports... Investigators began to pay closer attention to some of the details of the scene that had initially appeared irrelevant, such as the lead masks that were found. They uncovered remnants of the materials used to create the masks in the workshop of Manuel y Miguel. The masks were created by cutting lead tubes and flattening them, and evidence suggested that instructions on how to create the masks had been removed from a service request booklet found by Erval Viana, Miguel's brother. In addition, investigators found a book on spiritism by Adolfo Bezerra de Menezes, a notable Brazilian physician and politician who played a significant role in promoting spiritism in Brazil and founded the Brazilian Spiritist Federation, along with other books on extraterrestrial contact. As later revealed, Viana and de Cruz, like many electronics specialists and enthusiasts in the district, were scientific spiritualists and associated with secret esoteric circles and attended seances. Da Cruz's niece reported that, when asked about his trip to Sao Paulo, He answered that he needed to do something to know if he really believed in spiritism or not. Isabel Viana, Miguel's sister, stated that her brother had mentioned he was going on an important mission shortly before his fateful trip, but he couldn't reveal any details about it. She also said that Manuel y Miguel had constructed a radio-like device through which they received coded messages of unknown origin. On August 26, Elcio Gómez, who we mentioned earlier, was arrested for giving contradictory statements. Da Cruz's widow claimed that she had witnessed a quarrel between her husband and Gómez, who was known to have introduced the two men to scientific spiritualism. Alan Kardec created scientific spiritualism to address the lack of scientific rigor in the 19th century spiritualist movement. He researched mediumship and spiritual communication extensively, developing the principles of scientific spiritism. The doctrine seems to merge spirituality and science by offering rational explanations for spiritual phenomena, with beliefs like the existence of God, reincarnation, and ethical conduct. It emphasizes scientific inquiry and rational thinking while rejecting blind faith and superstition. Scientific spiritism is incredibly popular in Latin America, particularly in Brazil, which has the highest number of followers worldwide. Millions of people practice the doctrine and attend spiritual centers in Brazil, making it a significant cultural and social influence in the country. Gomez had a reputation for being dangerous, and according to him, The three men had collaborated on various strange experiments in de Cruz's garden, which his father confirmed, hoping to contact spiritual entities with the help of explosives. Erval Viana had asked his brother about the explosives, and he responded that they were used in spiritism to ward off evil spirits. Gomez also revealed that one of their experiments might have even resulted in the crash of a UFO. According to Gomez's statement, on June 13th, 1966, he, De Cruz, and Viana went to Atafona Beach to conduct one of their experiments, which resulted in a bright and luminous object descending onto the beach. The object remained there for about 5 minutes before starting to ascend and eventually exploding in a flash of light. The explosion caused a powerful shockwave that shook the city of Campos and nearby buildings. Many people at the time thought the city got hit by an earthquake. Fishermen in the vicinity reported having witnessed a UFO crashing into the sea on the same day, leading to speculation that the two men intentionally shot down the craft and were subsequently killed as an act of retaliation by the extraterrestrial occupants of their vengeful relatives. In Brazil, although the majority of the population is Catholic, there is a wide range of religious beliefs associated with spirits both terrestrial and extraterrestrial. However, this story seems to have a bias towards the extraterrestrial spirits, largely due to the coverage by the press and UFO researchers who have emphasized that angle because of the sightings reported on the night of the incident. The sect that the three men were a part of appears to be one of a kind. While the practice of using loud noises to ward off spirits is common in certain Eastern religions, we couldn't find a single reference to a spiritism group that employs explosives to communicate with or banish spirits. It's mind blowing that the police never investigated Gomez's involvement further or looked deeper into this dangerous religious sect that built bombs. According to reports, the Brazilian Naval and Air Force intelligence became interested in the case. An article published in the September 16th edition of O Cruzeiro, a Brazilian illustrated weekly magazine, described a story in which the Navy's monitoring service intercepted an unusual conversation over the airwaves on the evening of June 12th, a day before Viana and the Cruz supposedly shot down a UFO. The conversation was between three radio hams with station prefixes CKJ-22, CKJ-21, and CK-22, but no further details about the conversation were disclosed. However, no such prefixes were registered for amateur radio transmitting stations in Brazil. Adding to the mystery, during the interrogation... Gomez revealed that Viana and De Cruz maintained a clandestine radio station in Glicero, nestled deep within the Macaé district. Gomez was released after evidence showed that he was present in Campos on the day of the tragedy and had not left the area. The mystery deepened when a case sharing some similarities with that of Miguel Emanuel was reported. In 1962, a TV technician named Hermes Luis Fetosa was found dead atop the Morro do Cruzeiro. Some sources mistakenly claim it was the same hill as Viana and de Cruz, with a homemade lead mask nearby. According to a friend, Fetosa. Who sought contact with extraterrestrial beings had taken a pill to enhance his psychic abilities, but, quote, was not physically prepared for the experience and ended up dying, end quote. Somehow, the authorities could not establish any connection between the two incidents. You'd think Chief Wiggum was in charge of the investigation. In an article published in the Folha de Sao Paulo, On August 31st, a yoga teacher proposed that the men might have been attempting a telepathic experiment involving high-frequency thought waves. According to him, in experiments of this nature, alkaloids such as LSD-25 or mescaline are often used to enhance mental alertness and increase the frequency of the brain. The investigation hit a dead end, and the case was officially closed. However, a year later, they reopened the case and assigned Salo Suarez de Souza, a detective from Rio Police Headquarters who specialized in long-term follow-up unsolved cases to lead the investigation. New developments emerged as newspapers reported that the police were actively searching for a vehicle that had allegedly transported the bodies of Viana and de Cruz from Campos to the slopes of Moro do Vintem where they were later found. The renewed search for the vehicle provided a glimmer of hope for cracking the case and bringing closure to the mysterious deaths. Soon after, an announcement was made that if the search went well, the bodies of the two victims would be exhumed on August 25, 1967. It appears it was necessary to determine whether the victims were murdered or poisoned by chemicals that they were using to communicate with spirits or whether it was a suicide pact. It was reported the following day that the exhumation had taken place and that certain organs had been removed for examination. Delegate of police, Sergio Rodriguez, stated, quote, I do believe that in a few days' time, I will be able to hand the guilty party over to the judicial authorities. End quote. He wasn't. Detective de Souza retraced the path taken by the two men on the day of their deaths and discovered a crucial detail. The time it took them to travel between the bus station and Fluskop was unusually long, about 50 minutes. D'Souza took the trip on foot, by bus, and by car, and always found a gap in time. Along the way, he discovered a parapsychology center run by a well-known spiritist and homeopath in the city, who even gave presentations on TV. In June 1968, it was reported that the police were looking for a blond man who was seen talking to the two technicians before getting into the jeep that took them to the foot of the hill. This description corresponded to that of the janitor at the Center for the Paranormal Studies in Nitroy, between the bus station and flusco. He was also a TV repairman and frequented the shop. Atomic scientists in Sao Paulo, Sebastião Falace and Adalberto Otto, conducted tests on their hair from the corpses and concluded that the victims' deaths were not due to poison ingestion. A Brazilian spiritualist group revealed that they communicated with entities from Jupiter through psychic means. They claimed that the deaths of the victims were accidental and occurred when they ran toward the spaceship before they were instructed to do so. They also disclosed that Jupiterians were all female like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, one foot taller than the average man, with vertical mouths and four fingers on their hands. Shockingly, no one took these incredible revelations seriously at the time. Enter Hamilton Fast Talker Benzani. The best way to describe Benzani would be a cross between a GTA character and Snake from The Simpsons. While serving a 50 year sentence in a maximum security prison in Sao Paulo for doing GTA stuff, he told a relative that he was connected to the deaths of Viana and the Cruz. Benzani claimed that while he was hiding in Rio de Janeiro, he was approached by three other criminals Espanol, Wilson Alameo, and Acacio who asked him to carry out a job in Nitroi that would be profitable for all of them. The group proceeded to take a taxi and then switch to a private car, which took them to a spiritualist center. There they met the owner, Elena, and Benzani was introduced to the two men. During a seance, they learned that the two were planning to purchase electronic equipment and a new car, Following the seance, Benzani was instructed to drive Wilson, the German, Elena, Acacia, Viana, and the Cruz to the foot of Morro do Vintem, where the others forced Viana and the Cruz to go with them into the thickets on the hillside while Benzani stayed in the car. Half an hour later, the three men and Elena returned with a briefcase containing roughly six million cruceros and Wilson the German told Benzani that they had killed Viana and de Cruz by forcing them at gunpoint to swallow poison. His recount of the events contained several inconsistencies and contradictions, such as discrepancies regarding the amount of money involved, the position of the bodies, and the details of how they were found. The police concluded that Benzani fabricated the story in the hope of being transferred back to Nitroi Jail, which was notoriously easy to escape. He previously escaped twice. He remained in Sao Paulo and allegedly ended up escaping anyway. The Brazilian authorities determined that the two men died from a combination of radiation exposure and ingestion of poisonous substances, even though no poisonous or radioactive materials were discovered during the autopsies. However, Certain types of poisons can remain undetectable during an autopsy due to various factors, such as being metabolized or eliminated from the body due to a lack of specific tests. The case was officially closed, and the authorities pursued no other leads or suspects. At the time, the UFO community in Brazil was dissatisfied with the official conclusions. Some speculated that the entire incident was a hoax or stage event, and that the authorities were deliberately attempting to debunk UFOs. The lack of concrete evidence or eyewitness testimony in the case only fueled these rumors and suspicions, leading many in the UFO community to question the credibility of the official investigation. In 1980, approximately 14 years after the incident, ufologist Jacques Ballet traveled to Rio de Janeiro. To investigate the case. Together with his wife Janine, Detective D'Souza, photographer Alberto Dirma, and journalist Mario Diaz, who was part of the original search team back in 1966, they were led by Paulo Santos, the boy, now a grown man, who originally found the bodies, to the exact location where the bodies were discovered. They made a baffling discovery. The spot where Viana and De Cruz were found had no vegetation and the ground was bare. Valle fails to mention that high amounts of formaldehyde can adversely affect plant life, including leaf injury, reduced growth, and even plant death. Santos stated that he did not detect any odor when he discovered the potties, Vallée presented their conversation in his book, Confrontations, in a manner that suggested this detail was peculiar, despite it being a normal occurrence for bodies that have not yet reached an advanced stage of decomposition. As a reminder, investigators arrived at the scene two days after the discovery of the bodies, indicating that Viana and the Cruz had not been exposed to the elements for an extended period. In the book... D'Souza Souza speculates that there was no briefcase, citing the lack of evidence that the victims had had one. This contradicts numerous testimonies, including that of de Cruz's widow, who helped him put the money in the briefcase the night before his disappearance. It's worth noting that de Souza was not well regarded by his peers and had a reputation for being a mediocre investigator. Father Oscar. Quevedo, a professor of parapsychology, gave a statement to the newspaper O Globo in which he stated that lead masks were used in certain deadly occult experiments as a means of protection. The participants were required to fast in order to induce physical and mental imbalances and to ingest a specific amount of a particular drug which would allow them to enter into a trance state. These experiences are known as sigma and hyperesthesia. In the case of Sigma, the experimenter seeks to free the soul to achieve spiritual enlightenment. In hyperesthesia, hyperexcited nerves are the instrument through which individuals seek to feel subtle aspects of the reality surrounding them. Father Cavedo emphasized that to succeed in either of these experiences, Numerous rigorous exercises and a state of perfect physical condition are indispensable. In 1981, Detective D'Souza was admitted to a hospital located about one kilometer away from Moro Vintem for stomach surgery. During his recovery, he suffered from anaphylactic shock and felt like he was levitating off his bed, experiencing something similar to an OBE, He then walked over to the window and saw a UFO hovering in the night sky. On March 4, 1986, computer technician Olavo Mena Barreto Ferreira, 25, and office worker Wellington Barrios Wanderley, were found dead on a beach called Glumari in Rio de Janeiro. Similarly to the lead mask's case, no signs of struggle or violence were found. Investigators found an empty one-liter soda bottle, an empty bottle of guarana powder with an ammonia odor, and two empty plastic cups at the scene. While no masks were found, the two men were believed to be part of a spiritist group that conducted seances in an effort to contact extraterrestrial entities. The media initially attributed their deaths to flying saucers, but it was later discovered that the bottles found near their bodies contained pesticide with an organophosphate compound. This compound can inhibit the enzyme acetylcholine strase, which is responsible for transmitting nerve impulses. When the enzyme is inhibited, it can cause temporary paralysis and even death, with the lungs being one of the most commonly affected organs. However, sources on the Grami case are extremely conflicting, with some claiming that no poison was found during the autopsy, while others suggest poisoning by curare, a plant used by indigenous peoples. In an interview in 1990, Mario Diaz pointed out that over the course of 23 years following the case, Many individuals who were involved in the investigation or had connections to the incident had suffered from mysterious deaths or health issues. For instance, police chief Venacio Bittencourt died of a heart attack in Campos. Similarly, Commissioner Oscar Nunez, who accompanied Diaz to the crime scene in 1966, passed away after suffering a stroke. Two police officers were also brutally murdered, adding to the unsettling nature of the case. In addition, in a podcast interview conducted years later, Diaz recalled that someone broke into his car and stole the manuscript for a book on the lead-mask case that he was working on at the time. Intriguingly, this was the only item that was stolen, prompting speculation about a potential cover-up. The most plausible theory is that the two men accidentally overdosed on drugs that were supposed to help them contact entities from another world. Another possibility is that they were murdered by poison by the man who wrote the note found at the scene. However, without sufficient evidence, it is difficult to draw any definitive conclusions. As for the missing money, some speculate that the boy who originally found the bodies took it, which sounds plausible. The possibility that a sinister Lovecraftian cult leader orchestrated the events for such a small amount of money seems rather unlikely. Viana and the Cruz's quest for answers ultimately led to their untimely deaths, serving as a cautionary tale about blindly following those who offer enlightenment and secret knowledge in exchange for absolute devotion. Their tragic story also highlights how even esteemed researchers can overlook crucial information to further their agenda while authorities may prioritize self-preservation over justice. Special thanks to Jeff Demers for putting together the script and doing all the research on this episode. And a special thanks to his helpers, Ciao Coelho, for helping with translation, and for providing us with contemporary sources on the case, as well as Lindsay S., for being a walking encyclopedia on the occult, and to Rafael Barazan for helping with the pronunciations. If they are wrong, which I'm sure many of them were, it's purely my fault, not his. You can find the Irish Strange Skies podcast on most podcasting apps. If you want to follow us on social media, buy some merch or find the link to our Patreon page, head on over to ourstrangeskies.com. I have a PO box if you want to send me stuff. It's PO box 1377 Tupper Lake, New York 12986. You can check out Welcome UFO People, the web comic that Todd Person and I make on Instagram at Welcome UFO People and Twitter at Welcome UFO peeps. We also have high-res images available on each of our Patreon pages. Our Strange Skies is a production of DuVid Media. Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Spencer Worth Davis is the man behind the curtain. Our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg. And the Great Desdemona is behind many of our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up. Because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on the top of the hill of the penny coin. In gray, we trust. I saw you window somewhere in New Mexico on the way back home. Maybe I don't know. But it was green. I knew it was so green. I wish you could stay because I'm to media.